So we are on lesson five of the fall quarter. The title of the lesson is Paul's Aspiration for the Future. The scriptures are Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12 through chapter 4 and verse 1. So the first section is Paul's goal. And that is verses 12 through 14 of chapter 3. Somebody want to read that section? That's three verses. Okay, thank you. That's inspiring, isn't it? Yeah, so verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Say that three times fast. So already obtained what? Not that I have already obtained it. What is he talking about having already attained? What happens in the resurrection of the dead? Perfection happens. Perfection happens. That's what he has not obtained. Yeah, because remember, it's in the, the state of glorification that sin is absent from us. There is no sin at all. And so Paul says, I have not already obtained that. So, you know, perfection while we're in these bodies in this life is not possible because the sin nature remains. But what is possible? Growth, growth is possible, right? Growth is possible. So... Ephesians 2, we frequently quote verses 8 and 9, but then it goes on to verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And as we do that, we grow spiritually in the walks that God has prepared. And you know, it makes me think of that song, uh, Trust and Obey. You know, yeah, Trust and Obey, and we walk in the light of his word. Is one of the phrases in that song, we walk in the light of his word. You know, uh, Dane was talking about that. I can't remember if it was last week or the week before. But the word is so important because the word changes us if we are willing to listen. So Jesus' words in Matthew 4, verse 4, as he was speaking to the devil, he said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So that is why, you know, I, I really cherish our Sunday school class as we go through the whole Bible, because it changes us and makes us more like Jesus. But it does not make us exactly like Jesus. Never. And uh, even when we are perfect, we are not exactly like Jesus, uh, but we will be sinless. So Paul is correcting here the idea that salvation or justification provides perfection. You know, belief in Jesus provides deliverance from hell. And then believing in Jesus as you continue to live 
provides power to obey God's commands. And that is in Ephesians 3.16, which has become one of my favorite verses. That Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. The Spirit is our source of power. So then I had something I wanted to read out of the quarterly here. Yeah, the Philippians may have thought to themselves, why admit a wrong when Christ's blood has already covered my sins? Why go to a Christian brother or sister with whom I am at odds when I know I am right in Christ? This kind of self-righteous attitude can poison the spiritual life of a church. And what goes along with that, the assumption that it is possible to arrive spiritually is a false idea. Paul certainly would not contest the belief that Christ's work on the cross completely atoned for sins and made believers perfectly acceptable in the eyes of God. Yet he did depict the process of sanctification as a lifelong process. So the moment you think you have arrived, you sinned. When you say you've arrived, you've sinned. Because that means you're self-righteous. Okay, so that's Paul's goal. That was section A. So now we're on to section B, which is a mature attitude. And that's a whole two verses. <laughs> Somebody want to read verses 15 and 16. That shouldn't tire you out too much. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so verse 15. Now my... You have the NIV, right, Vicki? Yeah, so mine says, therefore as many as are perfect in the NASB. So how many are perfect? You know, I think it's possible the NIV translates it mature. It is possible to be a mature Christian. It is not possible to be perfect. Um, so, so as many as are mature have this attitude. What attitude? Remember, I press on toward the goal. That's the attitude. We want to continue, if we're mature, to press on toward the goal. And how do we do that? How do we press on toward the goal? Yeah, you just follow the Lord day by day. It's nothing fancy. <laughs> it is not fancy. It's not... Yeah, keep it, exactly, that's it. Keep in touch. You know, it is our job to keep in touch. Yeah, so, um, so if you're mature, you want to follow the Lord day by day, and that means you have to be in his word. That is a requirement if you, if you desire to grow spiritually. So I have here 1 John 1, 8. This is talking about actual perfection. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, so. And then verse 16 goes on to say, However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. So all of us have reached a certain level of spiritual maturity, right? Everyone has a level. Every Christian has a level of spiritual maturity. What is he saying here? 
keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. So you don't want to go backwards. You don't want to go backwards. You know, uh, the writer of the Hebrews kind of chided them for going backwards. And uh, that is in Hebrews chapter 5. So Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Concerning him, that is Jesus as the priest according to Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. So if we fall backwards and do not live up to what we have obtained, we become um, less receptive to what God has to say. So going on in Hebrews, this is chapter 5, verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So as you mature, you'll be able to receive more, more knowledge from God. You'll be, you'll be able to understand more. And you will grow more. So you should obey what you understand. You know, a new, for example, an, a, a drug addict who turns to the Lord in prison is not going to be as mature as a missionary that's been on the field for 20 years. So you obey what you understand at the time. And, you know, the Lord will gradually sanctify you as you follow him. You will look at the Bible and say, oh, hmm, maybe I shouldn't do that, <laughs> you know. And then you, other things, you'll see, oh, perhaps I should do this, you know. And as you yield to those things, then you will grow. So obeying what you understand is all anyone can ask of a believer. Okay, all believers are in different states of maturity. And so not all will be as sanctified as others. But what we want to do is to continue to go one way and not to go backwards. It's very common to go backwards, to get a rush when you get saved, you know, and you're on fire for the Lord, and then you get disappointments. It happens to everybody. And that's the Lord training you, you know. You get a disappointment, and you say, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. And you don't live up to what you have attained. It's not hard. You just, just like you said, just keep your eye on Jesus day by day. That's all you have to do. Nothing, nothing drastic. And that's the end of that section. <laughs> Anything else on that section? What would you say are some hindrances to do what Paul is talking about here? Keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Do we have any hindrances to that? Do we have things that battle us in that, to living to what we have obtained? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, ourselves. <laughs> well, ourselves, but just sometimes I get... Discouraged at that. Discouraged, angry. Yeah, yeah angry. Yeah. 
Yeah, what you take into your mind is you have to guard. You have to guard. And we'll get to that in Chapter 4 of this book. Yeah, and that's a good point. You want to you kind of monitor what you take into your mind. Mm -hmm. Because it affects you. It does affect you. Okay, so Section C, Christian Role Models. So that's verses 17 into chapter 4 and verse 1. And I'll read that one. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Okay, so... Verse 17, brethren, join in following my example. Paul has said this before. So I'm going to look at, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He has said that a couple of times. Chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, Paul says to the Corinthian church, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul said, follow my example. He also told Timothy that he could be an example despite his youth. Now, who does that make you think of? Someone we know. Our pastor, exactly. It makes me think of our pastor. So 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul, writing to Timothy, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, uh, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. So, yeah, I think Dane follows the pattern of Timothy. He is young, but he is mature. Seems to be. And so um, so he is an example, even for an older person. So here Paul is holding up Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples of servanthood. We already went through that, uh, I think it was last week. So we also can be examples to others as we follow Jesus. Okay, you know, Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. As long as we're following the example of Christ, we can be an example to others. And we can, you know, I, I would feel uncomfortable saying this. <laughs> but if you act mature, then, yeah, you know, 
people can emulate you without danger, you know, if you're following Christ, so you can be an example to others. And of course, that's that's mainly what we want for our kids, right? We want our kids to follow our example as we follow the example of Christ. But it's their choice, which is the part I don't like. <laughs> I would rather turn a switch and say, just do it. But that's not the way the Lord has it set up. So anyway, so it's a good thing I'm not God, or we'd be in big trouble. You agree? Yeah. So does my wife. So does everybody. She's a wise woman. Okay, so verses 18 and 19, For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And then he goes on to describe them whose end is destruction, that is their end, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. So who do you think he is talking about here? I think this brings up, uh, Paul could be talking about unbelievers, but I think in this context here, it re this relates to, remember, Paul said that he had uh, other brethren that were preaching Christ out of spite toward, to him, you know? And um, so I believe what he's talking about in this context is Christians who are carnal. So they're believers, they're going to heaven, and they're following their sin nature. And we know that there are such things by 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. It gives the three divisions of humanity. So, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So a natural man is one who is not born again. He's an unbeliever. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Understanding the Bible requires the Holy Spirit to actually understand it. You can read it as an unbeliever, but you won't understand it. But he who is spiritual, that is the Christian who is keeping his eye on Jesus day by day, appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And then Paul says the third division, or the second division of the Christians, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to inference in Christ. So they're saved, but they're following the flesh. That's what he's talking about here, I believe. Many walk, of whom I often told you, and they'll tell you even weeping. When a Christian follows the flesh, it makes people sad, doesn't it? It makes you sad, other believers sad, because they're they're not living up to what they could. And all you have to do is keep your eye on Jesus and follow him. That's all you have to do. It's not that difficult, but um, you have to be willing to do it. It is not complex. The difficult part is the will. You have to decide, I will do that. Yeah, that is that is the fight. So you have to give your will over to Jesus every day. And after a while, it's like, okay, 
And what does he say of them? He says they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So a Christian can be an enemy uh, of Christ. And what happens? Their end is destruction. Is that destruction in the lake of fire? No, it's not. It is destruction in this life. Whose God is their appetite. Okay, this is where they're, they're placing their um, focus. Their appetite. Glory is their, in their shame because they refuse to give up sinful practices. Okay. Why? They set their minds on earthly things. Okay. So if you're a believer and you're, you know, you're concerned about money, say, and you sacrifice the things of God for the pursuit of money, even though you're a believer, you're in this category. And the Lord will discipline you to turn you around, you know. Or, you know, any category of sin that you like and you're following instead of keeping your eye on Jesus and doing what he asks, the Lord will discipline you. He's not trying to kill you. He's trying to turn you around. If you won't turn around, he will kill you physically to save your soul. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he will physically kill you to save your soul. So unbelievers don't have the ability to do what we're saying here. The, the, only, the only thing you can say to an unbeliever is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. No condition. Because they, can, they want their beer. You know, they don't have the ability to change anything until they realize that. And so that is why, the, as the Spirit convicts them of sin, the sin of not believing in Jesus, we cooperate with that by telling them, you need Jesus. He paid for everyone's sin, including yours. All you have to do is accept it. And later, then, as they look at the Bible, they will be convicted to change things. Yeah. So he was an unbeliever. Unbeliever who thought that this could be a good thing, but didn't want to give up his lifestyle. Yeah. It's hard to time. It's just like trying to time the market. Can't do it. <laughs> so anyway, Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died for sinners, of which we are all... Right, they're sinful liberties, right? Yeah. Yeah, and what is great about Christianity is it doesn't constrict your liberties. It gives you freedom. It gives you freedom because we are going to heaven no matter what we do. So it's like performing with a net. Will we fall? Sure. But we can't fall all the way. Will the Lord discipline us if we sin? Yes, he will. Um, but we can't fall all the way to hell. And so it's, it's a net. So this is... a. Acts 15.24, I don't remember why I wrote this down, but it will come to me. Acts 15, verse 24, this is the Jerusalem council where, you know, Paul and Barnabas were seeing all these Gentile converts coming into the church, and some believers came from Jerusalem to Antioch, of Syria, and we're telling them you have to be circumcised. 
Okay, and this is what James says. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction, they did this on their own, have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls. And what were their words unsettling them? That you have to go under the Mosaic Law. You have to be circumcised. Um, so what is that? That's legalism. Okay? So believing in Jesus and promoting legalism um, is bad. Okay? That restricts freedom, and it's unnecessary, and it diminishes your faith. You know, I don't know how many kids leave the church because of the legalism of the church. It's so restrictive. You know, they say, I can't live that way. And they leave. Now, verse 19 sounds like the other end of the spectrum. It sounds like licentiousness. It talks about whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame. They set their minds on earthly things. So they're seeking worldly things. So, can believers be licentious? Absolutely. And we have an example of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians has a lot of good examples of carnal Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5, this is uh, sexual immorality here. This is the gentleman in the Corinthians church who had his father's wife. So he and his stepmother were in a sexual relationship. Okay, incest. And it was going on in the church. Church knew, knew about it, and they didn't do anything. So Paul said in verse 5, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Yeah, and so in Philippians 3.19, whose end is destruction. So licentious Christians or Christians, you know, participating freely in sin, um, and they, they could repent. If they go on, the Lord will discipline, and sometimes he disciplines to the point of death. But he doesn't send you to hell. He'll take you home to him. Another example is 1 Corinthians 11, which hits home today because it's about communion, and we're having communion today. And these people, the Corinthians, again, a good example of carn carnality, were uh, getting drunk, and they weren't waiting for each other at the Lord's table. And Paul says to them, For this reason many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. In other words, they're dead. So this is the destruction he is mentioning. You know, to be out, to follow your sin nature while you're a Christian, you lose a lot of things. You lose a lot. You know, you lose your example, for one. You know, the Lord says to, or not the Lord, Paul says, let us keep living by that same standard. You know, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. If you're following your sin nature, you, you know, you're not an example to be followed. You're not going to earn any rewards in heaven. You're not going to earn any authority in the kingdom. Um, you'll go. 
but you won't be in authority. Yeah, right. You know, especially if people know you're a believer. People know you're a believer. And, yeah, in the Proverbs somewhere it says, uh, and I can't remember where it is, but it's something about, you know, a believer who falls um, before the wicked is like a dirtied water water dirty, you know, by feet, you know, it's gross. So you want to just keep your eye on Jesus day by day. He will guide you and he will cause you to grow and, and he will make you an example. You don't want to be like this as believers. Verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven. Now that sounds real nice, doesn't it? That is nice from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have dual citizenship. Our citizenship is in the, we're American citizens, U.S. citizens, and we're citizens of heaven. And actually, we are ambassadors from heaven to the United States. Yeah, just like our country sends ambassadors to Britain and to France and all these other places. The Lord has converted us because we believed in his son. And as we mature, we become ambassadors from heaven to where we live. And that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Yeah, and so if we're good ambassadors, yeah, if we're good ambassadors, we don't, we don't want to be original. We're not original. We copy what the Lord says. <laughs> yeah, we're just copycats of what the Lord says. Exactly. I agree, yeah. So now it says our citizenship is in heaven. How long will we spend in heaven? So when we when do we go to heaven? What brings us to heaven? Okay, what event brings us to heaven? I'm fishing now. Yeah, the cross. We're we're going already, but what takes us is the rapture. Yeah, in the rapture, we meet Jesus in the air, and he takes us on up into heaven. How long will we be there? Not that long. Yeah. So when we are raptured to heaven, there will be a certain period of time, probably not that very long, until the 70th week of Daniel begins. The rapture does not initiate that. The rapture is related to the church. Daniel's prophecy is not related to the church because the church did not exist when his prophecy was given. It was in the 6th century B.C. Nobody knew about the church at that time. Church was never mentioned until Jesus mentioned it in Matthew 16, verse 18. That was the first time Anybody knew, what? What is that? <laughs> you know, 
And so the church is a mystery. And, uh, but the 70th week of Daniel, which is seven years, will begin when the Antichrist signs a treaty with Israel, unbelieving Israel, and the Lord will start that clock, and we will be in heaven. And then, as Christ comes back, we will follow him, and we will reign on earth for a thousand years. So we will be in heaven for seven years, although we are citizens of heaven, and then we go into the eternal state, and I don't know how it is then, you know, we're in the heavenly, we're in the new Jerusalem, which it describes as coming down onto the recreated earth and living in this city, which is glorious and is, I can't remember, a mile high, a, a mile box. It's, it's a nice place. It's a nice place with very good decorations. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so so anyway, you know, I find that I find that but when I was a kid, you know, heaven, okay, we're in heaven, we're in, you know, and you're on a cloud and you're strumming a harp and I thought, how boring is that? I do not want to do that. But, you know, we'll go to heaven. We'll be in heaven in the father's house and then we will be married to the bridegroom and we'll return to rule which is what man was made for. And we'll be ruling for a thousand years, and then we'll go into the eternal state. And, um, you know, it still talks about ruling in the eternal state. Um, it'll be awesome, man. It will, yeah, it will be awesome. It is something, yeah, it is something to very much look forward to. Well, and the Lord will give us ta tasks. He'll give us duties. He will give us things to do that are, I'm sure will be fascinating, interesting, you know, challenging. Well, They'll be good. It'll good, be awesome. Father, I <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is going to be something else. So verse 21, yeah, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. So that is our resurrection body our glorification. And uh, that is guaranteed for every believer. Every believer. That is not part of our sanctification. Our sanctification is variable between people depending on how well we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, you know. You, you know, how well you tame your will to say, okay, Lord, I will do what you say. You know, because we still have a will. The Lord does not take our will away. And we choose. We choose to believe in him initially, and then we choose day by day, are we going to follow him that day? Here's a verse about the fact that we will reign on earth and not in heaven. This is Revelation 5.10. Revelation 5.10. You have made them, this is a, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Upon the earth. So then verse chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. 
So here Paul calls the Philippians his joy and crown. Does crown trigger something in your mind? Yeah, so First Thessalonians. Oh, here it is. First Thessalonians two nineteen. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? So the Lord has, I think there are five crowns that are rewards for service. And um, it's not a wage. It's a reward. You know, we don't earn things from Jesus. The, the, the rewards are grace gifts. But if we submit to him, and in this it is submission in the realm of evangelism. If we're evangelists. Okay? Because Paul's saying, who is our crown of exaltation it is you because he evangelized this is the Thessalonian church he also evangelized the Philippians Philippian church and he calls them his crown and uh, so if you evangelize people they accept the Lord the Lord uses you to do that there will be a reward and you know there's one for uh, enduring trials I can't remember what these are <laughs> all <laughs> And uh, help me, Alex. What are what are some other ones? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's another one. the The other one is uh, the crown for uh, controlling the flesh, controlling the sin nature. So just uh, just obedience to the Lord. You know, there's a crown for that. That's three. Okay, that's terrible. But anyway, I'll have to look them up. There's five altogether. Oh, one is for being a shepherd. Um, it talks in the context of elders, but, you know, I do believe it relates to any time you shepherd someone, uh, disciple them, lead them along in uh, maturing in Christ. There's a reward for that. Yeah, that's, that's shepherding. Yeah, that is shepherding, right. Okay, and there's one more I can't forget, so that's an assignment. Look that up. No. <laughs> So, but the crowns are, you know, some, I've heard some people say, oh, I don't want a reward, you know, I'm happy to do that. But God wants you to have them. He keeps telling you to get them. He tells you not to lose them. Okay. They're, they're valuable. They're important. Why are they important? Because they are tools for worship. That's what Alex mentioned. They're tools. They're like, you know, a mechanic wants his tools. Well, the crowns are our tools. When we get to heaven and we throw them to Jesus, they, ne they never get dinged. They never get bent. <laughs> they, they return just as good as they started. And you can do it again over and over. So we want the crowns. And the crowns come from following and being willing to submit to the Lord. And, well, we're early. We can have three cups of coffee <laughs> in between. <laughs> okay, so anyway, Lord, we thank you for Paul's aspiration for the future, and we pray that we would do the same, that we would press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
And let us just keep our eyes on you day by day, Lord, and bathe our brain in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.